Support comes from WFAE members and Mazda of South Charlotte, focused on applying Mazda's customer-centric approach for vehicle design to car buying and servicing in order to create an experience centered around the customer. More at MazdaofSouthCharlotte.com. This is Charlotte Talks. I'm Mike Collins. We all go through various stages in life, and one of them is deciding how we want to spend our later years. Now, for many, when they retire, when the kids leave home, when they don't want the responsibilities that come with having that house in the suburbs, they choose a retirement community. And of those people, many choose continuing care retirement communities. Now, those are often referred to as CCRCs, which provide a long-term care option for people who want to stay in the same community as their medical needs increase. But not everyone can afford that option. It comes with a hefty price tag. Entrance fees can climb to the hundreds of thousands of dollars, with monthly fees in the thousands on top of that. So what are your options if that's out of your budget? And if these costs sound astronomical today, what will they be like for young people when they reach that stage of their lives? We're going to examine that this hour, along with the many factors to consider as you face the decision of how to spend your later years. And we're also going to examine a problem faced by one of this city's leading retirement communities now facing possible insolvency and what that may mean for residents there. That's the situation at Aldersgate, one which has been reported on extensively in the Charlotte Ledger. Christina Bowling is the managing editor of that publication, and she joins us for the hour along with Curtis English, senior placement specialist at Blue Dot Cares, which assists families in finding senior living communities, as well as in-home care services in Charlotte and the surrounding area. Welcome to you both. Morning. Good morning. And to help us better understand the legal world behind CCRCs, Catherine Pearson is here. She is a professor of law at Penn State Dickinson Law, specializing in elder law. Thank you for being here, Catherine. Welcome. Thank you for inviting me. And in fact, I'm going to start with you because there are so many choices that people have when they face this later stage of their life, when they decide to rid themselves of some of the encumbrances that have perhaps followed them through life, and they want to just make things simple and easy. We're going to talk about CCRCs a lot this hour, but what are some of the other options that people have? Sure, Mike. Um, There's a whole array of what we call the senior living industry. And so at one end, um, probably the least desirable choice is a nursing home for skilled care. At the other end of the spectrum would be an independent living community that's um, usually, often like a small city that really is devoted to um, a population that's 60 and over. So I come from Arizona. So the classic example of that is Sun City, where practically the whole city is geared around providing support for aging. Between those two maybe extremes, you could say, there's um, what's called assisted living, and that may be where somebody needs help with activities of daily living. There may be uh, personal care homes that might be a concentrated form, usually smaller for um, that kind of care. And then continuing care communities, um, CCRCs or life plan communities, they're sometimes called more recently, that's the trade name that they've adopted, is really an attempt to say, okay, one-stop shopping. Uh, You can come here um, independently and if your needs progress or, or become more complicated, we will have options for you right on the same campus. 
Traditionally, in a continuing care retirement community, the starting is, quote, independent living, but it's really independent living with supports. Supports in the sense of a community that's designed physically to really um, support aging. For example, ramps, not steps, between different levels of units. Um, a restaurant on campus that um, provides additional um, you know, um, meals for you. And then assisted living would be the second phase, sometimes called personal care, and then skilled care. And a lot of the uh, CCRCs now have a dementia care um, unit or, or region in the facility. So, Curtis, you help people make these decisions, and they're hard decisions, and, and they are decisions that you have to kind of take some – there's some guesswork involved because you don't know what the future holds. Are the three considerations, depending upon where you want to put people or where they want to go – really health, your time horizon, and finances? I think that's a great question. So, you know, there are typically four things that I will discuss with families when I am consulting. And in no particular order, really, it's going to be location is number one. You know, what area are we trying to be in? Uh, number two is going to be care needs. Let's talk a little bit about how much hands-on, how little hands-on is going to be necessary. What are your personal care needs now? What are some of the, you, you know, your activities of daily living that you are going to need assistance with? Number three is going to be financial, you know, budget. What is that budget going to look like moving forward? Is there a certain threshold that we need to stay within? What does that look like long term? And then lastly, it's going to be timing, right? How soon are we looking to make that move and that shift? But, um, you know, there are a lot of options within our market, within this industry that can really meet all of those needs. But coming from a placement specialist side, really, I'm consulting with these families hands on. A lot of times I'm meeting with these families personally, whether it's in the hospital, whether it is in a rehab or in their own home and really trying to navigate what they are looking to do. And uh, CCRCs, the life plan community space. Um, are sometimes some of those options available to them. But for a lot of people financially, um, the CCRC space may not be something that they can attain. And ha having someone like myself come in and being able to explain what those differences are helps them know what they have as an option moving forward. And all of these options have a certain cost attached to them. Some of them, some of those costs are fairly steep. Should it, should it, a lot of people may hesitate about putting themselves or allowing themselves to be placed in these in these situations because they want to leave a legacy, a monetary legacy to their survivors. Should that be a consideration or should you be the number one consideration? Yes, it costs a lot of money. Don't leave it to your kids. Use it now. Certainly I would agree. With that. Yeah, go ahead, you, Kurt. That's a yes, Curtis? Yes, I would agree with that, yeah. Yes, I think there are two parts to that, right? And the CCRC space allows you and their business model really with their large entrance fees, which can range anywhere from $150,000 up to over half a million, right? In that entrance fee. Um, I've got, you know, personal experience in working within that space. And, you know, they have different contracts available typically for families moving into the life plan community CCRC space. From a 0% refundable, 50% refundable, 90% refundable, these contracts are designed with that large entrance fee model to plan for your estate, you know, upon end of life at that point, how much of that percentage of that actual entrance fee is going to go back to your estate. 
So there is a planning aspect, I think, for a lot of families in that space to be able to do so and leave a legacy. Um, but depending upon what that looks like and what their goals are, um, there are options outside of that CCRC space as well, which would allow you to stretch your funds even longer and allow you to manage your own money as opposed to allowing the CCRC to hold on to your funds for you. And we'll talk about those more in depth a little bit later on in the program. Uh, Catherine, uh, you're an expert on, the, on elder law, and according to Newsweek, most people in the U.S. are currently choosing these continuing care retirement communities as places to go for their later years. As you say, they're called life planned communities now, which are certainly much less cumbersome phrase to use, I suppose. And there are about 2,000 of them, as I understand it, scattered throughout the United States. What kind of people are best suited to go into these places? Well, historically, I haven't noticed that there are a lot of school teachers in them. And that was probably because the school teachers would have their home that they could sell when they were getting ready to um, move into one. And that um, sale price for their home would fund the admission fee. And they often had a defined benefit fit, um, retirement plan. So that would fund what are called monthly service fees. Over time, as these uh, communities have become more expensive in many instances, and quite frankly, um, with a whole lot more services attached, um, I see a range of customers, everything from, you know, um, solo um, people who really want the support of an entire community around them. They want new friends. Maybe their friends at home have uh, passed away or moved away from their uh, former home and they're looking for new friends. Um, or perhaps sometimes it's a couple. And often one half of the couple um, is anticipating uh, the need for greater care. And so the couple wants to be in the same campus and wants to stay as long as possible in independent living, but wants the ease of always knowing that their loved one who needs more care will be in the same community. So those are the wide range of people choosing uh, CCRCs. I, I would I would suppose it could be argued successfully that you get a lot for your money in, in those communities uh, because all the choices that come along later in life, et cetera. But they also cost a lot of money. AARP in 2022 said that the average initial payment nationwide was about $402,000 with fees that ranged widely from $40,000 a month to more than $2 million? Really? Uh, so $2 million, give, that's California. Okay. Well, <laughs> what kind of questions should you, as somebody considering one of these locations, what kind of questions should you be asking of the people that run these places before you sign the contract? Well, perhaps I can talk about why I, as a lawyer, am even in this conversation. And so I used to run an elder protection clinic, and residents at a community approached us. Um, this was back in 2004, and said, we're concerned about our community, and we're concerned about a building plan, a construction plan. We don't think it's necessarily wise because we think another CCRC is opening up in the same community. And we're nervous about how much it's going to cost long term for our community if we can't fill those spaces. So one of the things that's happened over the last 20 years is that residents around the nation have actually reached out for help. Um, and and they're, they want to know how much right do they have to have a voice in their community. Um, I used to joke that it's sometimes a little bit like the old concept of a company town. Um, and uh, you have a lot of services there, you know where you're going to live, but you still want to have a voice in your company town. And I think it, the nice thing about CCRCs 
is these are engaged, lively people who do want that kind of a voice. That's what makes the communities worthwhile. And so I always say the most important thing to recognize is this is, should not be an impulse buy. You want to do your homework. I always recommend to residents, um, future residents, that they look at, at more than one CCRC, not just the one that their best friends are at, but other ones in their region, and maybe even look at some outside their region. And be careful to understand that the marketing labels may or may not correspond with your expectations. So you will find communities that have phased care, but no promises of continuity between the different locations. That's probably not a CCRC in most states. States That's just a place with different places and you separately contract with each unit. But CCRCs do have a way of saying, here's what your expectations will be if you have to transition to additional care. The second thing I always say is talk to the community residents. And not just the ones that the community trots out for you as, their, as the greeters, those are important too, but just people over dinner, over lunch, spend a little time there, go and play, you know, bingo uh, there or whatever um, other community activities are going on so that you get to know and find out if there are people that are going to be fun for you to be with. I find that the majority of residents I talk to, even when they're coming to me for legal assistance or legal advice, are coming because they love their community and they want that community to survive and thrive. And that is one of the things uh, Christina Bowling found when she, as the editor, managing editor of the uh, Charlotte Ledger, talked to some of the folks at one leading area, uh, CCRC in Charlotte, that we're going to talk about later on in the program, that people loved living there and they didn't want to jinx it necessarily by talking to the media about some of the problems they were facing. We're going to come back and talk more about what you should consider the, as you make what is probably the, not, not your house is probably not your biggest investment. These places are probably the biggest investment you'll ever make, and we'll talk about some of the legal ramifications of that when we come back. It's Charlotte Talks on WFAE. Support comes from WFAE members and Mazda of South Charlotte. Using Mazda's customer-centric approach to cars to create a car buying and servicing experience where the customer is the center of their business. More at MazdaOfSouthCharlotte.com. It's Charlotte Talks on Listener Funded 90.7, WFAE and WFAE.org. I'm Mike Collins. Uh, we're talking about elder care and CCRCs, which are continuing care retirement communities, or as uh, Catherine Pearson says, they're now called life plan communities. Catherine Pearson is a professor of law and a specialist in elder law at Penn State Dickinson Law. She's here along with Curtis English, senior placement specialist at Blue Dot Cares, and Christina Bowling is managing editor of the Charlotte uh, Ledger. We'll talk with her in a moment about some of the problems that they have uncovered at one leading area, CCRC. Uh, I know that you don't ask or answer, rather, uh, uh, Christina, uh, I mean, Catherine, you don't answer specific questions that people may ask you about their particular situations in these uh, uh, CCRCs. But because you are an expert, they have written you over, over the course of time about certain legal aspects of, of their uh, uh, situation there. Uh, which leads me to ask this question. It, 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 certainly you should ask questions on the way in, but what if you're already in one of these places and you don't like what's happening around you or you're, you have questions about what's happening around you? How much of a voice do you have? What, what legal standing do you have to address concerns that you might have 
about the place you're, you, you, you've uh, invested in, living in? Well, that's an essential reason why people contact me. The short answer is you have the same rights you have under the First Amendment to speak. And that should not be curtailed just because you're in a residential community. The second is that most CCRCs support resident organizations that allow an ongoing conversation between residents and, and the operators, management, and the Board of Governors if it's a nonprofit organization. And that's critical. I personally support the idea of residents on boards of governance for CCRCs. That's something I first introduced back in 2010 as a concept when there was a failure of some CCRCs around the nation during a critical financial crisis in, you know, in the nation. Um, but it continues to be something that individual CCRCs offer. Um, you know, some states say they want two residents on boards of governance so that there could always be one going on, one coming off, and continuity of voice in the community. Um, I think that's a great way to keep the communications flowing in the right directions. And I know that I have to let you go because you have a class to teach, but I do want to ask this question before you leave. You say that elder law attorneys don't always have the kind of expertise that a person may need to get these questions answered. So how many of you are there out there who do have this expertise? And aside from you, who else does? Well, the good news is in a community with a lot of CCRCs, most of the elder law attorneys who hold themselves out as certified elder law attorneys will certainly know um, CCRCs and have seen the contracts. Uh, but financial advisors in general, um, they're often the people who know because they're, they've been looking at how to best invest funds for their clients for a long time. So the good news is there are elder law attorneys who do know about this, certainly in much more than there were, were 20 years ago when I first started working in this area. And the key is ask. Um, you know, these are contracts. Lawyers specialize in contracts. It's why I teach contract law, quite frankly, is because of CCRCs. I want my students to understand, to leave law school knowing what CCRCs are and, and the implications of signing this kind of a contract. Catherine Pearson is professor of law at Penn State Dickinson Law. Thank you for being with us this morning. I appreciate it very much. Thank you for the opportunity. You're welcome. Christina Bowling is also with us. She's the managing editor of the Charlotte Ledger and Curtis English is senior placement specialist at Blue Dot Cares. It's an organization that helps people navigate this, what could be a strange world, at least initially. And, and you, you mentioned earlier, Curtis, that there are several different kinds of, in addition to being different kinds of uh, facilities, there are several different kinds of contracts. Uh, particularly in these uh, life plan communities, extensive life care, a so-called modified contract, which offers a limited set of services beyond which you pay additional fees. And then there is a fee for service contract. Do all of these places offer these three sets of contracts? And how, how do you know which one is right for you? It's a very good question, Mike. And, uh, which kind of leads to really the point of families having some form of advocacy when they're going through this process, right? And I think that Catherine really touched on communication, asking questions, um, and being informed. Because when a family is visiting a CCRC in that space, with these options that they have available in their contracts, there are also certain disclosures that have to be disclosed to that family as well about 
their financial standing and also with the Department of Insurance. So I think making sure that as a potential resident going into one of these communities, you need to know what questions to ask. And a lot of times that can be very confusing. Um, and having some form of advocacy, whether it is talking to an elder law attorney or talking to a financial advisor, is putting yourself in a position to know what questions to ask. Um, some communities may not offer a 0% refundable, 50% refundable, or 90% refundable contract. Um, and knowing to ask which options are available to them, I think is critical, especially through the planning process of how you want your legacy to pass on to your estate. Um, so really more than anything, I think it is making sure that you are educating yourself, researching, and having somebody there with you in some way, shape, or form to help you ask those questions before any decision is made. Christina. Yeah, I just wanted to make everyone aware that it's possible to get the disclosures, they're called, off of the uh, North Carolina Department of Insurance website for any of these facilities. So um, you can, it's, it's a little tricky to navigate, but if you go to search for North Carolina Department of Insurance, um, continuing care communities, and you can see each one listed with hyperlinks and you can read and take to your financial advisor or take to your elder law attorney those disclosures, they have to set, show a financial statement for the last year. Um, they have information about how it's run. There's a wealth of information there to dive through that will help you get a sense for sort of the financial health and just the kind of general running of how of each one. It does take a lot of money to get into some of these places, uh, uh, Curtis, and, and I, I was unaware that some of them refund the money at the end of your use of that facility. Uh, not all, but some do, and it's uh, on a sliding scale. How, how does that impact the kind of care, the kind of services you are provided while you're there? That's another good question. And really, uh, it's not going to impact the services that you are providing. Really, it is that first step in determining, okay, if I want to do a zero refundable contract, which means at my end of life in that community, that none of that entrance fee is actually going to go back to my estate or 50% of that or 90% of that. It's really just going to change how much money is going to be required up front. Uh, typically, a 0% refundable contract means that it is a lower entrance fee model coming in. If you're going to the opposite spectrum at a 90% refundable, then typically that is going to have a much larger upfront fee on your actual um, move-in fee, right? So um, knowing how that impacts you really is just dependent upon what the plan is for those funds at end of life. But it's really not going to affect the care that's made available to you. Now, keep in mind, that entrance fee is just one part of it. Once you are actually moved into that community, uh, at that point, you're also going to have a monthly fee that you are paying every month in addition to that. And if you have the need to move up into these elevated levels of care, which truth be told is the benefit of a CCRC, is that you are guaranteeing these elevated levels of care if and when you may need them from assisted living, memory care, all the way up to skilled nursing care. And, you know, the appeal of a CCRC is that you move into that community one stop where you're able to enjoy a luxury lifestyle and have all of those elevated levels of care made available to you. But remember, 
each one of those levels of care is still going to have a monthly expense that you will be paying. Um, Christina, these uh, are not these or these organizations, these places are not federally regulated, but they are regulated and overseen by uh, the states, the various states. And there are different watchdog agencies that monitor the goings on in North Carolina. Who does that and how effective are they in protecting the consumer? Sure. So in North Carolina, um, they're overseen by the Department of Insurance. And just to note, not all states regulate, which is was surprising to me when I started to um, to look into this whole industry. Um, the, the Department of Insurance does um, have auditors and they have uh, CPAs who go through the financial statements um, to you know check for the financial health of each one um, each year. So I want to find out what we get for our money because uh, we're all going to face this decision. And, and we're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars sometimes to get in. So what exactly are you getting? Are, do, if you're moving into a mid-rise situation, are, do you own your unit like you would own a condominium in that building? If you're moving into a cottage situation like a single family home, do you own that home? Or are you essentially just renting it until you no longer need it? What's the, what are you really getting, Christina? You basically own nothing. So you're, you're, you basically have the right to live there um, for the duration of the time that you can be there. Um, you don't walk away with any equity or anything, except for like what Curtis was talking about. If you pay a large uh, entrance fee, then you're heirs. Or if you decide to move out, you can recoup a percentage of that when you leave. But in terms of like getting a deed, you don't own anything. Um, you do, though, have access to quite a bit of uh, to amenities, um, dining. A lot of times there's services that um, housekeeping and, um, you know, all kinds of different services that come in clubs. Um, there will be trips that people can take. A lot of them have beautiful resort uh, type swimming pools and other amenities. So it's uh, you're buying into a whole lifestyle. And like Curtis mentioned, it's the knowledge and the insurance that when you need, if you need more care, you'll get it. Uh, some CCRCs have even things like, you know, if you need a knee replacement, that your fee gives you a certain number of days in the nursing, the skilled nursing each year. If, if that, you know, you can have a certain number uh, kind of on the house and then you go back to your your home when you're ready to do that. So the depending on the community, the amenities vary. I mean, some look like you're at the Ritz-Carlton Resort um, and some are a little bit more modest, um, yes. you know, talking to people who live in communities typically they they love living there they're vibrant communities full of people who are um you know have interests and in, you know different varying things that they want to be part of and and uh, and communities that they belong to so um people typically enjoy living there so curtis aarp made a list of 10 questions to ask a ccrc before you sign the contract and at the top of the list is the question are you a for-profit or not-for-profit, and what's the financial strength of this community? Why does it matter whether it is a for-profit or not-for-profit? I think that's a great question, right? And I will tell you, in our market here, most CCRCs really function under nonprofit. Um, and, you know, I have worked in that space, and I will tell you that it is a different environment working in a nonprofit space versus working in a for-profit organization. The benefit I would say in being in the nonprofit space is that any and all of those profits are really just being pumped right back into that community, right? And 
Aldersgate, for example, uh, um, you know, beautiful, beautiful campus sits on around 230 acres back there. So they have made sure to create an environment and a lifestyle for people that live there and choose to live there that they are getting what they are paying for. So working within that kind of nonprofit space, you know that those funds are really being pumped back into that community. Um, you know, it's, it's really going to be on a personal preference, I think, for some people if they choose to be within a nonprofit versus a for-profit. In that nonprofit space, they're obviously being governed by a board um, and internally. So you want to I, really ask questions about what that actual structure looks like, I think, within leadership um, and what type of voice you would have as a resident in that community. And Catherine actually spoke on this a little bit earlier because um, it is a pretty commonplace in these communities that they will have resident council. And these resident council groups have direct access to the CEO, the CFO, COO, and the C-suite executives within that space and having an open line of communication to know what is going on. So the but, you know, the, uh, go ahead, Mike. Okay, I was going to say the second part of that AARP question, uh, uh, are you for profit, not for profit, and what is the financial strength of the retirement company is something that plays directly, Christina, into your reporting on uh, Aldersgate. Before we get too deep into any discussion of Aldersgate, we should mention that they have been an underwriter here at WFAE, and we asked if they would like to be a part of today's discussion, and they responded with an email that read in part, at this time, we're going to pass on your offer to sit down for an interview. Our energy and focus needs to remain on our residents and staff as we continue to make strides in collaboration with the North Carolina Department of Insurance, which oversees CCRCs in the state, toward the completion of our corrective action plan, which we will talk about a little bit later on. But the second part of that question, Christina, what is the financial strength of the community is, is an important one, uh, but the financial strength of any entity can change over time. So it can be very healthy when you sign them a dotted line, and that can change. So how helpful is it to ask before you commit? Super helpful to ask. And one thing that you should note is that, you know, like I was talking about earlier, you can go and find financial statements on the Department of Insurance website. You can't always find them going back very far. And so it's helpful to perhaps get um, in touch with someone who's on the, the residence board to who can who's been there for a while, who can talk about, you know, they've typically been watching the financial health of the place that they live and can talk about how it's been going over time. Um, so that you're not just getting a snapshot in time um, of the year that you, you know, that you're house hunting, basically, that you're CCRC shopping. It is important to see kind of that, that sort of sense of what the direction, what direction it's heading in. So since the you and the Charlotte Ledger have been reporting almost exclusively, and I don't think anybody else has really picked up on this story to any great degree about the situation at Aldersgate, when did you first become aware of it? Sure. So we were contacted in August of last year um, by actually a financial planner for somebody who lives in, in Aldersgate um, who said, you know, you really should take a look at what is just happening this week. Um, the state had issued uh, what's called an order of supervision. And that means that the Department of Insurance says you're not in good financial health and we're going to come in and oversee um, all of your financial uh dealings basically so we're going to kind of we're going to literally supervise the finances of your of your 
um, of your CCRC. Um, and so I started to, to, to dig, to look at what had happened over the last year, realized that actually the issues at Aldersgate went back quite far um, to 2014. They've been having operating losses that far back. So that's how it sort of got to our radar is when that um, order of supervision happened in August. They're kind of a, a cautionary tale, but also one that it will, might benefit people going forward if they want to live there or elsewhere because it, it provides some things to look for, which we'll talk about when we come back at Charlotte Talks on WFAE. Support comes from WFAE members and Mazda of South Charlotte, incorporating Mazda's customer-centric vehicle design by making the customer the center of business to create a better car buying experience. More at MazdaofSouthCharlotte.com. It's Charlotte Talks on listener-funded 90.7 WFAE and WFHE. I'm Mike Collins. We're talking about uh, things to know, questions to ask of CCRC's uh, 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 continuing care retirement communities with Christina Bowling, managing editor of the Charlotte Ledger and Curtis English, senior placement specialist at Blue Dot Cares. The Ledger has been looking into a situation at the Aldersgate that has been troubling. In 2018, Aldersgate was in the process of completing a $85 million expansion, and now questions have arisen about their financial solvency. They recently dismissed their CEO following what you, Christina, describe as, quote, years of operating losses for the community and months of scrutiny by the North Carolina Department of Insurance and from some residents. What exactly happened there? Um, so there's many layers to what you would say kind of went wrong um, at Aldersgate. You know, like I said, they had been dealing with operating losses going back to 2014. And uh, things really kind of um, went more off course just between 2019 and 2022. Um, it amassed $31 million in, in operating losses. There were um, lots of reasons for that. There were projects that were late opening um, that led to decreases in revenue. You know, wages needed to keep increasing. Inflation happened. Um, they needed to keep adding amenities to kind of keep up with competitors in the market. Um, for some years, they had really uh, large, unexpected capital needs. And then there was a community that they were planning to launch in the South Park area um, called Generations at Shalom Park, uh, on the Shalom Park campus, um, that they had been planning for several years that failed uh, in 2022 and took with it quite a lot, amount, uh, quite a lot of money. Yeah, from uh, you, they, they they reported losses. I think from twenty nineteen to twenty twenty two of thirty three million dollars, and a loss in December of twenty twenty two of two point nine million dollars for the year. Uh, that seems like a very steep uh, set, set of losses, and it, so it wasn't necessarily from bad management. It was from a lot of factors that you just spoke about, all combined, the perfect storm, so to speak. But they did. Residents got together and, and had a, essentially a vote of no confidence in the CEO saying that she wasn't capable or they didn't trust her, her capability of being able to navigate the organization out of this situation. Could anybody? That's a great question. I mean, it's really not clear. Definitely there were issues. And, and, and the former CEO also attested to the fact that, you know, in the finance department of Aldersgate, there was an incredible amount of turnover. Uh, they burned through several CFOs, one of whom they said, um, you know, falsified documents and reports. So um, if you I think from the residents perspective, I think they were thinking, you know, the buck sort of stops with the CEO um, and that you know, yes, there was a lot of mismanagement within that finance department, but 
could a different leader have maybe prevented that, I think was a question. Also, I think a question was whether or not the board um, did enough and scrutinized enough what was happening. Were there enough people on the board of Aldersgate? Um, and I should say Aldersgate also has a parent company that created in 2016. Um, were there enough people with financial savvy who were asking the right questions to maybe get things back on track sooner? Uh, you were there, Curtis. You actually worked at Aldersgate for part of the period of time when these troubles began to emerge. Did you did you see any red flags uh, coming up while, while, while you were there? Were you surprised to discover these financial difficulties? I mean, absolutely shocked, right? Um, and I can only imagine when, you know, really some of this started kind of coming out and our industry in the senior living space within our market and our region is large, but it's also very small, right? So, you know, reputation kind of carries pretty far with what we do. So when things like this come out, you know, it was a shock. And as an employee there, one of the most wonderful experiences in that community, working with those, um, you know, the families that I did to help get moved into the that community, but also the residents that were there and seeing the quality of life that they had, um, you know, it was a little bit of a different, you know, environment, obviously working in that nonprofit space. Um, but I will tell you, it was an absolute shock. And my first thought was with this, is that if I were a resident there right now, and this type of news was coming out, my first thought would be, where is my money? Am I going to have the funds that I need for my estate? Where is my money? If you are behind with vendors and you're behind on paying actual refunds back to the estate from these entrance fees, that was the biggest shock to me. And, you know, I can understand fully why residents there would have a lack of faith in that leadership at the time, figuring out why did this get to this point? Why were we not aware? Um, and, you know, it, it definitely sent some shockwaves for sure to our industry. And so a lot of people had... State regulators did step in, as you said, Christina. They issued a statement last summer saying that the community was, quote, insolvent or in imminent danger of becoming insolvent and conducting business in a manner that is financially hazardous to the public or to the persons with whom Aldersgate has contracted with to provide continuing care, which speaks directly to what Curtis was just talking about, the concerns that residents may have. Are they making headway with turning things around, either the state or the organization itself? Right. So back in August, when they first issued and the state first issued that uh, that order of supervision, they made Aldersgate um, enact a uh, work towards its corrective action plan. So they it, it went in great detail to, uh, you know, cost uh, saving, you know, things that it could do, all kinds of um, changes that it could make in order to get back on firmer financial footing. And it gave it 150 days. They gave Aldersgate 150 days to make progress towards that and really satisfy a lot of the um, points in that corrective action plan. So that 150 days just came up last month, uh, and the state said, you know, you're making progress, um, heading in the right direction, but not out of the woods yet. And they um, re-upped, basically, you would say, the, that corrective action plan and that order of supervision. Sorry, they re-upped the order of supervision and said, we're going to start the clock over and give you another 150 days. So we'll know more um, as 
they are working through that corrective action plan. But, you know, we'll see in 150 more days, which would be summer, um, if, you know, what the state says about whether they're ready to lift that order of supervision. I mean, I'm not sure how you recoup 30 million plus dollars in, in financial losses in 150 days or five years or 10 years for that matter, it seems. It's a lot of money. Uh, at the end of 2022, Aldersgate had around 569, 570 residents who had paid entrance fees ranging from 112 to $640,000 and monthly fees of about 2500 to $6,500. If they don't fix this, first of all, Having expressed, having made these losses known, has the quality of care, the amount of care, been impacted at all? And if they don't fix it, will it eventually? That is a huge concern among residents when you talk to them. But from the what people that I've spoken with, it doesn't seem like lifestyle is impacted right now, other than some stress, fear, and worry. Um, you know, the. Uh, during this whole time, during the last, especially since August, there's been a lot of back and forth um, via email between residents and the Department of Insurance. Um, at the ledger, we did a public request, public records request, and we're privy to some of those emails. And you would hear about uh, residents saying that they um, there were amenities that did not necessarily get delivered as promised, like pickleball courts and things like that. But in terms of their general lifestyle, it does not sound like... Um, you know, there are huge impacts. It's 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 just a lot of stress, worry, and then some of these these extras, these things that they were looking forward to. It sounds like maybe you're not getting delivered in a timely fashion. You, you talked about all the things that came into play here that resulted in these losses uh, uh, a minute ago, but I'm just curious if the business model actually works. I mean, there there I think there's some thirty of these organizations in Charlotte, something like that number, and or maybe maybe less. But this is the only one that apparently is having problems. Is it a business model problem? Was it just a they were the victims of a perfect storm of financial difficulties? What was it? Bad management? A combination of all of the above? How concerned should people be if they don't live there but they live elsewhere? Sure. So I mean, they definitely depend on people moving in. Um, so these, in order to stay healthy, you need to keep a, a, a high occupancy. Um, because, you know, these CCRCs need the large entrance fees plus the, you know, uh, the monthly fees in order to be sustaining. They Typically what happens is your large entrance fee is used for uh, capital needs. Um, it's not supposed to be part of their operating budget. And sometimes when these CCRCs get into danger zones, they start to kind of steal from that a little bit. Um, they start to use that entrance fee money in order to sustain themselves monthly. So you, what we're seeing now is a growth in uh, retirement communities that are not this model, but they are actually more of a, um, they're, they're not pay us a giant entrance fee. It's pay us a, almost like a, a, a living in an apartment, paying a large monthly rental fee. I'm sure Curtis could speak to that. Um, but it seems like the growth uh, in terms of what we're seeing here in Charlotte is, is less these pay us a ginormous entrance fee and a monthly fee and um, just move in and let's go year to year and see how it goes. Hmm. Uh, clearly, people come and go from these uh, places. And it would seem to me that, as you just said, you depend on people coming, new people entering the program, essentially. Uh, if you're in financial difficulty to the tune that they are, are people likely to want to say, yes, I'll, I'll sign up 
here? Is that going to be a problem for them going forward? That's a great question. I think that's one of the concerns that the residents have is, and that's one reason why I think sometimes it's really hard to get people to talk um, frankly and that they, they feel that there may be not much to gain um, for them by sharing the, the challenges that the communities are facing. I think with the case of Aldersgate, the hope is um, that they find a way to um, change their business model or their their financial footing and get on stronger ground. and. You know, it definitely, if you visit the campus, it's absolutely gorgeous. If you talk to the people, they absolutely love living there. And the hope would be that um, that it would get on stronger financial footing and that that people would want to move in and, and can feel good about that. I think that's what the residents would probably say. So we have an email from a listener who says, my mother lives in a local facility that has a continuum of care. When she first moved, everything about the center was terrific. But in recent years, the management has changed and there have been many unwelcome changes. The food used to be quite good and is now frankly terrible. I blame this for my elderly mother's weight loss. Just recently, they stopped serving bread with meals and only provide dessert two days a week. You have to look hard to find the leafy green vegetable on the menu. Worse, the head of healthcare services doesn't understand wound care, which my mother learned in the worst way when she had an injury that caused the removal of skin. My mother sold her house to afford the entrance fee and is essentially stuck here now. I would say buyer beware. But she was careful when she made her choice. Things can change, is how she ends that email. And as the ledger pointed out in one of their articles, when you apply to one of these retirement communities, they take a close look at your finances, but who is examining their finances? Curtis, who does? How often? How, how much control do you have? And what if you find yourself in a situation like our emailer where her mother is no longer getting the care that she pays for? So I think that's a great question and kind of really plays into what I do on a daily with families. And there are always options. Um, it is about being educated on what some of these options are. And most families just don't know the differences between these types of communities, whether it is a standalone private pay assisted living with no large entrance fee model, whether it is a CCRC life plan community model, what does that look like? for planning, for financial, for the long term, even if someone is in a CCRC, you still have options to be able to move out of that community and you're protected within your contract. But it's also making sure that you are reading that contract thoroughly before anything is signed and give yourself time to read through that. Um, I deal with a lot of families, unfortunately, that are in more of an emergency situation too, right? They, they may be in the hospital, they may be in a rehab, and families are scrambling to try to figure out what to do and don't know where to start. Um, having an advocate on your side, somebody who can walk you through and help bring these issues to light, I think is critical. And knowing you know, how these communities are functioning internally, from their staffing challenges, from their leadership turnover, uh, to how their census has been turning over and how many residents they currently have at any given time, even down to how they're rated and regulated through uh, the Department of Health here in Mecklenburg County within the state. So um, there are options available, but it takes some digging and it takes somebody who knows the inner working of a lot of this industry and our market 
to bring some of those issues to light for families. And a lot of these places have long, particularly the ones you'd want to be in, have long waiting lists to get in. I'm curious, uh, uh, Christina, how transparent you have found the folks at Aldersgate to be with you and your reporting. Uh, I know that you write about some residents who uh, either didn't want to respond or didn't want to be interviewed by you because uh, one wrote in an email, we all love Aldersgate and we want to see it succeed. And some have told you that they met with you, but but they were told not by their by their they were told by their uh, residence board chair not to talk to the media. So how difficult has it been to report on what's going on? It's been tricky. In fact, um, that one last story that you just referenced, um, I spoke with some um, a group of I think it was three or four um, women who lived there for a very long time, and they had to sneak out of lunch and give an alibi to to meet with me because it was. Um, you know, sort of just communicated to them by their residence board, not necessarily, they never said by management, um, but that, you know, it doesn't really behoove us to talk too publicly about what's happening. Um, because like I said, they are worried about the financial health and feeling like um, airing dirty laundry might not be good and, you know, the best interests long-term for them. I have 30 seconds, Curtis. There are people, young people today who haven't even, this is not even on their radar, but it should be because it's expensive and you should start planning for it very quickly because I have 15 seconds. When should you start planning financially for this? You should start planning now. And if you've got the ability to look into possible long-term care insurance, please do. Uh, there's no time like the present to start planning for it. You do not want to wait until you're in an emergency situation trying to figure out how you can afford to move into senior living. Curtis English, Senior Placement Specialist at Blue Dot Cares. Christina Bowling, Managing Editor of the Charlotte Ledger, where they've outlined all of these situations at Aldersgate. Again, we wanted to stress that we invited Aldersgate to be with us on this discussion. They declined, saying they wanted to focus on the implementation of their corrective action plan. And we want to note that Aldersgate has been a WFAE underwriter from time to time. Thank you all for the hour. Celebrating 25 years on the air, Charlotte Talks with Mike Collins is a production of 90.7 WFAE. Support for Charlotte Talks comes from Mazda of South Charlotte. Our executive producer is Wendy Herkey. The senior producers are Gabe Altieri and Sarah Delia. Our engineer is Joby Sprinkle. For more information about Charlotte Talks, to listen to past episodes, or subscribe to the podcast, visit wfae.org slash charlotte talks. Additional support for WFAE programming comes from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support comes from WFAE members and Mazda of South Charlotte, focused on applying Mazda's customer-centric approach for vehicle design to car buying and servicing in order to create an experience centered around the customer. More at MazdaofSouthCharlotte.com.